Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week, as usual, are Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. Arson Keeley. Hi, everyone. Alan, and Alan Morton. Hello. So this week, um, we're talking about Russian trolls, and we would know what we're talking about because we are Russian trolls. Every last one of us. Every last one of us. Tis true, tis true. <clears throat> Wait uh, a second, I thought we were Russian bots. Same thing, same what? thing. But we need to discuss what's the difference, because apparently they're not quite the same thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a genus of species. Everybody knew it by now, but yes, we're Russian trolls. We're paid by the Kremlin, and uh, everything we do and say and think is in order to, uh, for the greater glory of, of, of Russia. Hang on, hang on, I'm just getting a message now. <clears throat> Da, da, uh-huh, okay, you, yes, do you not know yes. Do you not, sorry, Joe, carry on. Do you not know any more Russian than da? You should, it would be more convincing if you said, if well, you he's giving me Russian, the message, oh. I'm just saying, yeah, 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 I got it, got it. Okay, you should speak back to him, though. And you learn some, if you want to convince people, you have to learn some more Russian. Yeah, uh, if you that's speak it, that's dunk. a sure, that's a 100% slam I know. that you are one. Well, yeah. So you can't speak it, except for saying da. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're waffling here. Um, yes, Russian trolls. This is what we're talking about this week. Uh, it's been in the news for quite a long time. As you know, everybody knows pretty much every man and his dog or grandmother um, has heard of a Russian troll or at the very least that Russia is evil uh, and they're out to get everybody in the West in one uh, way or another, in one form or another. So we just wanted to, but but what's I suppose what's brought it up this week in particular is the a few media reports from the Western press, particularly the British press, but I mean the American press is always talking about has been talking about Russian trolls for forever basically. But uh, a couple of reports recently uh, this past week in the British press, the BBC and the Guardian in particular, um, decided to write a couple of little short silly hit pieces like they do now and again on, you know, their attempts to, from their rational, logical, judicious positions of, uh, you know, credential journalism to try and understand why anybody would ever think that the British government and what it said, for example, about the Skripal affair, its story on the Skripal affair and its story on the Duma, so-called Duma uh, chemical attack, in Syria and the cruise missile attack that came afterwards, um, why anyone in their right mind would ever question the official British government narrative on those issues and, more to the point, anything else at all. Uh, but particularly on Syria, you're not, there's something wrong with you. You have to be questioned. You need a hit piece written against you. You need to be investigated by the BBC and The Guardian if you for any reason whatsoever, disbelieve the British government version of events on Syria in particular and anti-Russian propaganda. And if you do disbelieve that, then the reason that they would feel the need or feel justified in investigating you is because you're saying the same thing as the, as the Kremlin or as Russia. Ergo, 2 plus 2 equals you're a Russian bot. If you think the same thing or voice the same ideas or concepts or beliefs about what might have happened on the geopolitical stage as Russia, you are therefore de facto a 
Russian something or other, a bot, troll, mm-hmm. a donkey, whatever. You're a Russian in some form or other. That is the, so that's what these people, um, apparently that's what justifies them. Um, the, the, the media, and of course the media, you know, tends to, as you may have noticed since forever really, but particularly since uh, 9-11 and the war on terror and the Iraq war, you may have noticed that the Western press tends to agree with everything the sitting government in Western countries says uh, the vast majority of the Western media agrees with everything they say on big policy issues, particularly uh, big policy issues that are foreign policy issues, let's say. Um, they tend to disagree with them, not again, depending on domestic policy issues, but certainly foreign policy, it's always whatever the government said is true. And anybody who doesn't, uh, who doesn't agree is, well, there's something wrong with you. You're a raving lunatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, and that's, what, that's what's happening um, that's what happened re- most recently. We have another example of it simply, and we just wanted to uh, want to wonder why. As much as they're wondering why about people like us, <clears throat> we want to wonder why about people like them. Well, about about ten years ago, we were thinking that they would never mention us directly; that they would only ever hold up and attack someone who's not the best representative of an alternative viewpoint. And they would attack them, right? Mm. That's why we never got any notice or anything like that. And not just us, but many others as well. Well, it's totally changed now, ever since Russian media came on the scene. And, of course, Russian actions in the Middle East shook up the whole chessboard, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, The two things you refer to that I can think of in the British press in the last last week have been the BBC article – that was more specifically about Syria. Uh, they singled out a Twitter user, Sarah Abdullah. I hadn't heard of her before now. And the other one, everyone knows, the journalist Vanessa Bailey. Did they actually say accuse him of being bots? I, I mm-hmm. think it was the more they accused him of being influential, quote unquote, conspiracy theorists. Yeah, uh, that's a far more traditional way of attacking someone, and more importantly, the narrative they're using. You hold them up as a conspiracy theorist, right? And that's the one we're used to since 10, 15 years. Um, but obviously, the Russian bot thing is, it's even, uh, it's, 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 I suppose they think it's meant to be more insidious. It's, it's meant to be more egregious, a moniker to have attached to your name because it suggests unpatriotism, is that even a term? A lack of patriotism, mm-hmm. more to the point, and a bent, a patriotic bent towards Russia, which means there's something wrong with you, just because of Russia, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just confabulation. We're kind of like seeing a bit of both: your conspiracy theorists in quotes, or your Kremlin bot, a Kremlin bot, or Kremlin troll. Mm-hmm. Well, but both, it's even both. getting to the point where, where identifiable people are being accused of being bots. Right, <clears throat> and I think the, like the most, the, the biggest case would be Syrian girl, partisan girl. I think her name is uh, um, Miriam Susley or something like that. But she's a recognizable figure. She's like a, a chemical engineer or something down in Australia. And her Twitter account is verified. She's got probably hundreds of videos of her appearing personally where you see her face. She's been interviewed all over the place. 
And in one of these articles that came out recently, like there there were, I think, like eight or nine in different outlets over the course of two days, like the Huffington Post, um, New York Times, I think the Washington Post, a few others, Guardian, even uh, BBC. <clears throat> one of these ones, this was the New York Times, they, they called her a bot. Um, mm -hmm. So they said that she, uh, that at Partisan Girl reached six 61 million users with 2,300 posts over the same 12-day period as this other guy that I'm sure we'll talk about, Ian56789, mm -hmm. um, who who they identified as another bot. So they're actually saying these people are bot. Obviously, right. they're not just called having conspiracy been, theorists. No, I mean that's probably yeah. directly related to Russia. Like they're not just saying these are conspiracy theorists. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that I found that I find really odd about this is this: this is a relatively new phenomenon, because let's say 10 years ago. Um, well, a site like SOT, like we've been saying pretty much the same thing, the same kind of things, you know, in in different situations for, for years. And we weren't called Russian bots or Russian trolls before then. It's only It, it was only really when um, Ukraine started happening and then Syria, like in the last few years, three or four years, that it, it became the Russian bot kind of thing. But the thing is, is that it wasn't it wasn't the alternative media like us who started adopting the Russian line. It was the Russian government that started saying things similar to the alternative media. Mm. And like they've got the kind of cause and effect differently because we, we would have said the same thing regardless of what the, the Russian government had said one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're accusing all the, you know, people like us who are just making very common sense observations mm -hmm. of being Russian trolls mm -hmm. uh, of, of, of catapulting Russian propaganda for the simple fact that the Russian government is saying things that are common sense, just right. like we were beforehand, and that we continue to do so. So it's it's just uh, it's like walking into Wonderland, and you know everything's upside down. It's it's a very strange feeling. It is very strange. the 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 Russian bot, Russian troll thing seems to be an evolution from the conspiracy theorist label. Um, you know. The whole idea behind the conspiracy theory label is to, you know, get you thinking, at least subconsciously. Oh, I don't, I don't want to be considered a conspiracy theorist. If if I believe this, or I take on this information, then that means that's what I must be. Uh, and in much the same way, if if I take on this point of view that that's been associated with Russian bots, then somehow I'm, you know, un-American or or un-British. And that's the other kind of mind job that this does on people. Um, you're, you know, you're equating any kind of alternative point of view uh, from the party line, from the mainstream media line, with being anti-whatever. Uh, uh, so there is that tendency to uh, to want to avoid these these labels, at least subconsciously. Um, and I don't think people even realize, unless you're on the other side of the equation and you are putting out alternative information that's that's more or less true, uh, you, you you don't realize what kind of a mind job this is. And uh, we, we've seen this Russian bot uh, thing take prominence, I guess, um, in, the, in the past several months. There have been a, a few stories in particular where it's been a, a tool. Um, First, we had the Nunez memo on Pfizergate about four months ago. Uh, after that, there was the um, we had a very uh, contested election with Roy Moore um, in Alabama's uh, special election here in the U.S. Um, if, if you were pro Roy Moore, you must be a Russian bot. 
Uh, and then there was the Parkland shooting. So you had these kind of major events, and, and whenever there was this uh, this alternative uh, point of view, uh, alternative from, from the point of view of the mainstream media here, bam, uh, it must be Russian bots that were uh, putting out this, this point of view. You, you couldn't just have your own... Um, your own feeling or view of a particular subject. Indeed, yeah. What, what gets me is that um, you'd think, given how flimsy this is, how tenuous the, the whole basis for for making that argument is, that they would be more circumspect, more subtle about using the term. But they're claiming reports. They're they're citing like detailed reports of people's uh, activity online and then there there can be there's zero connection to Russia but just because somebody is tweeting something that happens to be in line with something similar that the Russian government has said immediately mm-hmm. they, they're leaping into this assumption that therefore it came from the Kremlin it, it it's it's so mind-boggling that uh it's it's it reminds me of something ponderology where what well, reversive blockade where you put something out there that's so like it's so confusing to your mind that you just you're just stimmied in trying to explain it um, because the, the I mean the main thing I take from that is that they're saying what they're basically saying in the subtext is that the Russian government is being truthful. But of course, that that's far from what they will ever admit. That it's supposed to be the opposite message. It's supposed to be that the government, the Russian government, is lying all the time. Therefore, anyone who's saying anything remotely similar is a liar. And they they pulled up. Maybe we should go to that interview with uh, one of their alleged Russian bots, uh, Ian. Now, this is a guy who I've seen on Twitter before. Like he's he's got a recognizable avatar because he has this avatar of a, like a top male model and I, I i thought that was him i didn't know this guy was a man but he was using an avatar that wasn't him at all because sky news got him on after this report was put out naming him as one of these russian bots and uh yeah he's it's very much he's, he's not he's not the male model but he's an ordinary british guy who's retired i think and he spends his time some of his spare time Hitting back at the media, the media lies about everything that's going on. Um, so we've got it, the full online report. activity by Russia bots, trolls, and automated accounts has increased by 4,000% following the Salisbury poisoning and alleged chemical attack in Syria. Government analysis has identified what they call Kremlin-inspired accounts that repeat. So that's the beginning of the report, right there, and that's that's a little introduction. Um, Let's just listen to that again. Online activity by Russia bots, trolls and automated accounts has increased by 4,000% following the Salisbury poisoning and alleged chemical attack in Syria. Online activity by Russian trolls, bots, and what was the other word? Uh, Automated accounts. Trolls, bots and automated accounts has increased by 4,000% according to the British government. Uh, <clears throat> that's a fairly um, that's, that's a pretty big claim. Uh, how how the how the British government would have ascertained 
exactly how it increased by 4,000%. Um, is anybody's guess? Unless, of course, they're when they talk about online, I mean, bots, uh, automated accounts, they're obviously talking about Twitter and Facebook. That's all they've ever talked about is Twitter and Facebook, right? And this is where all this happens. It doesn't happen like, uh, you know, by email. It doesn't happen um, necessarily in the in the in the comment section, or maybe to a lesser extent in the comment section on some some articles. But certainly these people are talking about Twitter and Facebook, and probably in particular Twitter, because if you look at the articles that we've been referencing here, the BBC article hit piece and the Guardian hit piece, both of them give stats uh, from Twitter uh, about the accounts of these people on Twitter and the effect that the number of retweets they got, the number of pre impressions they got and all that kind of stuff. So their issue here seems to be Twitter. So the gov British government, according to these Sky News people, say that 4,000% increase. That means they got that data, those analytics from Twitter, because obviously the British government can't uh, put that together themselves. Uh, that kind of 4,000% increase based on what? I mean, obviously it's relative and all that kind of stuff, and the British government isn't going to just pull that pull that uh, number out of its backside, you know. Uh, well, I probably did, actually, but, you know, if, if, there's, any, if there's any legitimacy to it, um, it's been given, them, given to them by, by Twitter executives, and we'll get back to that point uh, in a little while. Government analysis has identified what they call Kremlin-inspired accounts that repeatedly post messages to spread disinformation and distort the truth. For more, let's bring in Sky's defence correspondent, Alastair Bunkle. So just explain to us what the government is alleging here. Very extensive research they've done with the Atlantic Council, which is a think tank based in Washington. And they've looked into a large number of Twitter accounts that have varying forms of activity but all with the same theme, and that is a pro-Russian theme. Now, that varies from what you and I would probably classify as a bot, so someone who might be perhaps paid to sit in a troll factory in St. Petersburg and push out a Russian message continually throughout a day, often in a very aggressive and abusive way. That's on one end of the scale. The other end of the scale is individuals who might be far more independent of thought, but use their Twitter account to prolifically uh, support messages that are anti-British government. And so you've got that kind of wide range of Twitter users that in the last couple of weeks with, firstly in Salisbury and events there, and then latterly the debate as to whether or not to strike Syria, there's been a huge increase in that activity, which has now been identified by the government. And they've named and shamed uh, a couple of these accounts, but just highlighted how this is going on as a Russian tactic. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Alan. Just it's just a word about the Atlantic Council, uh, where they, you know, collaborated in coming up with these numbers. This is one of these, you know, kind of NATO-affiliated uh, organizations in the U.S. that. Uh, makes its business of putting out information that is uh, strictly anti-Russian. Uh, so, I mean, right there, uh, if, if you don't know anything about the Atlantic Council, just know, you know, they're the ones who provide a steady stream of, of propaganda for publications like Newsweek in the U.S. Um, so this is basically where they're getting their information from, and it speaks to... Uh, the UK government and media's um, collusion with US neocon uh, groupthink uh, in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I mean, that was just a preamble that they, they had on the show there that, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. The government has figured out that, you know, all these people have been talking about the Duma chemical weapon attack uh, and taking a pro-Russian line. Uh, that's that's their problem. The problem is that, not pro-Russian line, but simply echoing the same things that the, that the Russian government has said. Um, and that's a big problem for, for the British government um, because they immediately suspect that because that is happening, these people must be being influenced by the Russian government, that they, they can't be thinking for themselves. Uh, they must be being influenced. So, um, yeah. So I continue? Well, the other thing about this is that, um, you know, Twitter has proved itself to be a real tool in the hands of uh, the pro-Western narrative as well. Uh, you have some really successful... Uh, Twitteries uh, that are kind of labeled alt-right in the U.S. that have come out in the past few months to say that they've been blocked, uh, that their you know their followers have been dropped, their tweets have been dropped. Uh, so there is a concerted campaign um, on on or by Twitter to suppress alternative uh, views as well. Uh, so th this is like a this is like some kind of mass coordinated effort that we're, we're seeing here um, that seems to be reaching a, a fever pitch uh, in suppressing anything that questions what we what we're seeing in Syria, what we're seeing uh, with the recent scribble uh, poisoning, uh, basically anything that doesn't fall into line uh, with the um, globalist uh neocon nato related agenda in the US and in the UK okay let's um let's listen now cuz they get ian on and he has some choice words to say so they've highlighted what's going on what are they going to do with that information well i mean it's very difficult because you have to preserve free speech quite rightly so and i don't think the british government uh, if and i'm not speaking on their behalf but i don't think they would ever aim to do anything but that. So some of those individuals have a perfect right to tweet at will and tweet what they want, even if that message disagrees with the British government, even if that message uh, the British government believes uh, contains lies a lot of the time. I just want to stop it there. He had to make the point there. He had to, he had to stress the point that he, wants, he just wants to be clear, although he's not speaking on behalf of the British government, that the British government is interested in free speech and, just, and because those people uh, would say stuff that doesn't uh, that the British government doesn't British government doesn't agree with, they have the right to do that. I just want to just want to be clear about that. That people have the right to to not agree with everything the British government says. Just you know, FYI, in case anybody made it may have you know come to the conclusion that that wasn't the case. You know, what a douchebag this guy's. Anyway, you cannot just close down that account. You cannot just close down those voices. In terms of what you might describe as Russian bots. So people who are actively under the pay of the Kremlin and working for them and pushing their message, then you can get into realms of sort of um, counter cyber activity, if you like. But essentially what the British government needs to try and do, and it has started to do, although let's remember the Russian government are very, very good at this. What they've tried to do is put out their own narrative, if you like. So make sure that they counter the Russian narrative with their own narrative. And you've seen the British government start to do that a lot more. Now, the British government 
identified two Twitter accounts specifically that they claim have been pushing a Russian narrative and spreading lies. Uh, one of them we have, I've contacted, and we have him uh, now live. He's yes, called let, Ian. Yeah, let's bring in uh, Ian now. Thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, today, Ian. So you've been identified by the government in this research as being a Russian bot, are you? Uh, that is a 100% total lie and complete fabrication by the UK government. Why do you think they've uh, identified you and singled you in particular out then, Ian? Uh, they are singling out for, for attack anyone who calls out the UK government lies on what has been happening recently. They have attacked me specifically because my Twitter account has recently got quite a lot of traction and a lot, lot of um, impressions, views on it, so that um, lots of people can see. I mean, the, the government's lies are very transparent and very easy to see. And anybody who applies a smattering of critical thinking will immediately call out numerous lies and it, the government position just completely collapses. I just want to bring... <laughs> well, I just wanted to note, note there was that the guy didn't even... He doesn't even know how to use the proper... Uh, he, doesn't, he didn't say retweets. Uh, he's like, my account got a bunch of views and uh, impressions, impressions and uh, a lot of traction. It's like... <laughs> He's such a he's such an expert Twitter user. He doesn't even know that the term is retweets, what? you know. Uh, anyway, but that's that's funny. But that that argues in his favor, obviously, that he's uh, he's just this what he appears to be, which is just this, you know, sixty-something British. I don't know if he's a pensioner or not, but I he's, think he is. But he's, he's retired. He's so. just he's just um, you know he he knows what's going on. He's, he's watching the news. He sees what's going on, and he's got a Twitter account and. You know, this this is one of the guys that was was quoted in the uh, in the in the BBC article, I think. Oh, was the Guardian article? Uh, the Guardian. The Guardian, yeah. Um, and they mentioned that he had, um, I think he had made one hundred tweets. He had tweeted one hundred times per day um, over a twelve day period. Uh and this is what got him all the attention. Now, if you're willing to put in that kind of effort into into your Twitter account, then that's going to that's going to happen, I suppose. That's how you get a lot of attention. I didn't know that was the case. I'm not sure I would do it, or even if I did know it was the case, because 100 tweets a day is pretty. Uh, well, you're not doing much else, you know. Um, so yeah, and that's that's their problem. The problem is that he, you know, been tweeting too much, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Some old guy's been tweeting too much, and the and the government doesn't like it. Um, yeah, we'll just keep going with them then, yeah? Yeah. Bring in our defence correspondent, Alistair Bunkle, who's with me as well, Ian, uh, to talk to you on this point. Ian, two questions. One of that is, and this is what the British government, one of the reasons they've highlighted your account, is that the argument is, is that you have consistently and prolifically taken an anti-British standpoint. No, and no, I've taken pro-British life. That is completely... You see, that, that's the subtle accusation of not being patriotic. Right. Very important. And that, he, they knew that would hit an English person hard. I mean, that was low. But that, that Although he answers that now, right? Yes, he does. Completely false. What do you mean by Britain? And do you, you mean and you accuse, and you accuse no, the no, British no. government of mistruths. No, 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 but, no, no. 
But they point out that in 2012, you tweeted this. I think we can see a tweet that you put up in 2012 that says that you were voting for Ron Paul. Okay. So you say you're going to vote for, I voted for Ron Paul, you said. And then a year later in 2013, you tweeted this, which says you are now starting to think about moving to America. Okay. I will shortly be moving to America, which meant that in 2012, you could not have voted for Ron Paul. So they question your authenticity when now that's just low so they go back seven years to to technically catch him in a lie mm-hmm. when who knows what the context of what right. he said was he yeah. was clearly in the, the proper context he was probably voicing his support for ron paul yeah. as all of us have done at some point or another uh-huh. he wrote and in the, in the tweet he wrote i vote hashtag ron paul or maybe he wrote, I voted, hashtag Ron, Ron Paul. Well, yeah. I mean, that could be figurative voting, whatever. The point is, it's got nothing to do with the, what this guy has been tweeting about. Dozens and not hundreds of other people on Twitter, on Facebook, have been saying the same thing. So what, you're going to go and look, look back at one comment he made about, I voted Ron Paul back in 2012, and say, well, and then after that, after you made that tweet about, I voted Ron Paul, well, then one year later, you vote, tweeted again saying that you were thinking about going to America. Therefore, you couldn't have voted for Ron Paul. <laughs> therefore, you're a liar. Therefore, everything you've been saying, regardless of the, about, about Syria and the, government's, the British government story in Syria, uh, everything you say about that, regardless of the fact that every, there are hundreds of other people saying the same thing, everything you say about that is wrong. Therefore, you're a Russian bot. Therefore, you're a Russian bot. I mean, that's the kind of logic these people are using. Jesus Christ, where's my fish? It's it, it's so idiotic. I mean, how many how many people do you suppose are actually falling for this line of argument? It's so pathetic. It's so stupid. Uh, you know, it, it's it's insulting. Actually, it's like you should believe this. It, it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, here he comes. Okay, in 2012, I campaigned online for Ron Paul during the primaries vigorously. I've got loads of tweets. But you said you were voting for him, and the British government say that you were therefore telling lies in 2012, so why should your account be believed now? And instead of saying I supported Ron Paul in 2012, I said I voted for him. Now, I don't know, I can't remember when I did that one tweet out of the 150,000 that I'd done. Let's just get back to the point about today, though, and the accusations today, Ian. You are denying that you're a Russian bot. You're saying you have absolutely no links with the Kremlin. Now, we've already tarred you. Uh Uh-huh. We got you. Now, let's bring it back to the relevant discussion. You know, yeah, 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 your defense is irrelevant. We've we've got you. We've got your mark on this. Okay, Mm. now, fast forward to today. Remember, our audience, we caught this guy in a lie. Okay, let's see what this liar has to say. Right. And you're not, and you deny being a Russian bot. So the material that you retweet, the government's identified 100 posts a day from your account, uh, 1,300 no, posts in 12 days. How do you check the veracity of the information that you retweet, the people that you're retweeting? Do you know them? Do you have Kremlin contacts? I have no Kremlin contacts whatsoever. I do not know any Russians. I have no contact with the Russian government or anything to do with them. I've got no contact with spies. I am an ordinary British citizen, ordinary British citizen, who happens to do research on what is going on in the current neocon wars, which are being fought in Syria at this very moment. I, uh, I have to just, something just occurred to me there. I have to say that it, it's actually perfect that this guy is enemy of the state number one. Because, I mean, when you watch the video of this, um, 
it's just, it's. I mean, he looks the part as well. What he sounds like there, he looks the part. He's got glasses on, he's got grey hair, and he's kind of like, he's just speaking all these funny expressions. And uh, and this is your quintessential 60-something English retired pensioner guy who's just spent too much time on the internet, you know. And therefore, uh, your quintessential Russian bot. Right, well, exactly, yeah. And, and I mean, but if that is... If that is enemy of the state number one, then how 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 low uh, or how far the the British government has fallen in identifying this guy? Because don't don't forget that this guy was identified among one one of two people that, according to Sky News and their defence analyst, the British government identified him as potentially, basically, uh, someone who, can, who was in the process of undermining uh, the British government. Oh, uh, this is high-level high level international espionage. Yeah. This, is, this is him. This is it. This is their problem. This is what they're up against. This is what they have to stamp out. People like him. But that's what they believe. That's what they're trying to say. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. All right, there's not much left. I check out what is happening by credible, credible journalists. Now, there aren't any of those on Sky News. <laughs> and there aren't any <laughs> others in, in the whole of the Western media. Ian, we, we are running out of time. I just Ian, want to can I quickly ask you, look, firstly, I'd say, you know, we bring you on to give your view to make it balanced. But do you ever worry <laughs> that inadvertently you might be part of a Kremlin propaganda machine? Inadvertently. No. <laughs> the question is, what does it mean by being pro-Britain or pro-American? Does it mean being pro the interests of 60 million British people? Or does it mean the clique in the UK government, the cabinet, that are doing things for their own personal benefit and their cronies? In the arms companies, BAE systems. Theresa May's husband runs a large hedge fund or private equity fund, which is the largest shareholder of BAE systems. Do you think BAE systems went up because Theresa May started bombing Syria? Yes, they did. She's got a conflict of interest. That's one. So uh, uh, I am speaking for the vast majority of British people. 59.9 million out of 60 million English people, or Scots. I, I'm not speaking for the UK government, who do not work for the British people. So that's uh, that's the end of that, uh, more or less the end of his interview. He got about seven minutes or something. But uh, you know these those those guy presenters. Actually, you were that guy. What's his name? Alistair. Alistair Debunkall. Alistair Debunkall uh, <laughs> uh, is 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 the guy, uh, the Sky News defense analyst. And um, I think you you posted on Twitter I to Ian, right? To, to the, Ian. the guy like being interviewed. Man, Ian got a lot of attention. I mean, yeah. a lot of retweets when he posted this video clip online. Um, so he's getting a lot more attention now than he's getting a 2,000% spike in fellow Russian trolls coming to him. <laughs> I tweeted to him, uh, really well done, Ian. They're completely clueless that most people around them don't believe them. So they come, they've come up with this Russian plot scheme to defend themselves from their own lies. What they're also saying, inadvertently, is that the Russian government speaks the truth. To which the Alistair Bonkov the defence analyst tweeted back to me, no, 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 Neil. It's the UK government that called Ian a bot, not Sky News. We asked him on TV to defend the accusations. Right. Which is nonsense, obviously, because uh, the British government, it wasn't just the British government. I mean, that, that, that Sky News segment and, and interviewing this guy, Ian, was 
they were acting and speaking on behalf of the British government. Obviously, I mean, if you listen to the interview, it was massively weighted towards um, uh, accusing or, or, you know, it assumed the validity of the idea that there are Russian bots who have been spreading anti-British government, or not just anti-British government, but spreading a certain narrative on on Syria and on this on, on Duma, on the Duma chemical attack, on the Skripal uh, affair, that there are ho- hordes of Russian uh, bots or Twitter accounts or Russian people, whatever. Uh, that's the the narrative that he that those guy people, those guy news presenters have swallowed and assumed to be true, and then they proceed with this interview with that uh, already established that that's that's a given, it's a fact, which is nonsense because that's a British government line. It's not, and it's and the opposite, the truth of the matter is being represented by people like Ain and the vast number of British people and um, people in Western countries who go, that's a load of horseshit, you know, that's mm. bollocks, you know, it's it, you know. The evidence of as to whether or not Russia poisoned the Skripals or whether or not there was a chemical attack in, in Duma should be based on the availability or not of evidence to prove that Russia poisoned the Skripals and, and there was a chemical attack in Duma. If there's evidence, then yes, okay, we might believe it. If there's no evidence, then we're not going to believe it. Um, but they don't want to deal in evidence of that nature. What they want to dealing is the British government wants to deal in, and, and the media lackeys like this want to deal in is smear uh, smear tactics basically defamation saying that anybody who disagrees with what the British government says when the British government presents makes an allegation about the scribbles or makes an allegation about a chemical attack in, in, in Duma without any evidence the British government insists or demands that the British public accept their word take their word for it the idea that this guy Ian or anybody else would say, "Hang on a minute, I'm not going to take your word for it. I'll rather I'd rather wait for the evidence if you don't mind, please." Then you're a traitor. Then you're being influenced by the Russian government. You're a Russian bot because you wait for evidence. Because you don't just assume that the British government has the best of intentions. And Ian made a good point at the very end there, which is that Theresa May, the British Prime Minister's husband, is is part or owns or is part of a, a hedge fund, an equity fund that has invested heavily in BAE Systems, which whose stock price soared and along Matthew with Raytheon after, yeah. uh, after the, the, the missiles were fired at, uh, at, at Syria, which was a direct result of the phony mm. allegations about a chemical attack. I'm inclined to believe that Alistair Bunkaw, when he responded to me protesting, no, 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 it, we were just reporting the news and then we got the guy on in the interest of fair and balanced journalism to give him an opportunity to respond. I'm inclined to believe that he really believes that that is because they're, they're also inculcated in like in this kind of quasi fair and balanced reporting. But as I reply back to him, then no, no, I said you are the one who presented Atlantic Council research as a given without questioning your sources. Right. You, you didn't do any of what you're supposed to do prior to this. So the result is you have a guy on and you, 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 you take a defensive posture and you say, oh, well, we're just, you know, we're fair and balanced, so we're giving him a chance to respond. No, you went in there with a view to this being, this was an inquisition. You'd, you'd already dug into something, you, some dirt you could find on Ian mm-hmm. by showing that in 2012 he right. said, I voted on right. Paul. You knew what you're doing. You're trying to set him up. You took a wager that we can get this guy on and show the world what what an idiot and a liar a Russian a Russian bot looks like. And Ian, well, yeah, <laughs> there was a 
a bad wager to make because he held his own mm-hmm. and completely backfired on them. Yeah, um, it's kind of bizarre the whole thing, really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not a it's not something new to to anybody listening to the show uh, that the media would have acted as mouthpieces for government, uh, particularly on big issues. Uh, we know that there's a kind of a nexus uh, between big government and the owners of the kind of corporate media. They, they they talk to each other. I mean, it's it's on one hand, it's on one hand, it's understandable that the government or any sitting government in any country would need to have close contacts with with the major media corporations because you know they want to make sure that um, well they have an interest, let's say, in public. Um, in 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 peace and stability in the country, let's say, and obviously the media, in theory, can spread uh, information that would uh, cause kind of perhaps uh, civil disturbances or something along those lines. So obviously, it's going back a long way. The, the governments in, in any country in the world has, particularly in the modern era, have a, have close connections with with the corporate media and put pressure on the corporate media. And the corporate media uh, feels, I suppose, to some extent, obliged to to toe the line. Uh, to some extent, anyway, uh, with what the government wants, because the government runs the p- country and the government keeps country stable, blah 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 blah. But that has just gone kind of way beyond beyond reason at this point. Where, uh, where, like like we mentioned in the description of the show, that it's uh, uh, in the US, it's the fifth kind of branch of, of government. You know, the media is effectively just the Ministry of Truth in the UK uh, as well. At you know, there's especially on these issues. You can go back. Yeah. You can go back to. I mean, go back even before 9/11 to 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 the beginning of the kind of or the inception of the war on terror with Al Qaeda and um, Osama bin Laden and stuff in the mid 90s when he first appeared in the scene that led up to the 9/11 attacks and then the war on terror. I mean, wait, you go back to reports there, back then and everything. Everything was from the mainstream media was just parroting the official line, you know, that was taking us along this predetermined or apparently predetermined path uh, towards uh, the kind of 9-11 attacks and the launching of a war on terror. You know, it was all being built up. And and there were very few journalists who were actually questioning what was really going on, you know, or the origin of Al-Qaeda, for example, or or who Osama bin Laden uh, actually was, what his origins are, you know, Saudi Arabia, etc. There's very little done in terms of real transparency uh, by the media going back, decades really uh, in terms of presenting the people with the real truth of a situation that would really allow them to be balanced like this guy and Sky News claimed he was bringing on Ian to allow him to have to, to balance it out you know to give a balanced perspective but that that's not really they don't that, one one interview with this guy Ian for seven minutes doesn't balance out the long history of Sky News Sky News is pandering to to, to government and warmongers and vested interests and as Ian said uh, um, conflict of interest among politicians with their business connections and stuff. I mean, the, the media doesn't pr- present that to the people as it should do on an ongoing basis, you know, um, because it it is it happens on an ongoing basis. All of that kind of cronyism and corruption. Yeah, in in the long preamble to before just before they had uh, Ian on, Alistair Bunkle also said, "Nah," he said that the British government is beginning to push back against this mm-hmm. Russian propaganda offensive. Which of course isn't. It's simply dissidents, right? People voicing dissident views. Westerners, British Americans. So think, think of think of what's assumed in that in that statement. 
So we're beginning to push back like on Twitter or, or in this way by publishing these ridiculous reports about 4,000% increase in Russian trolls. That's the pushback. What he's completely overlooked is that the British government's position on Salisbury and Duma saturated the global airwaves right. for a whole month. People in Thailand were hearing the British government version morning, noon and night for three weeks. Right. The pushback, are you freaking kidding me? You are the global media. Your, your views always get aired and saturate everywhere. And therefore the government's views, the British government's views. That's why, yeah, I mean, that's why. But it's, I suppose it's total information awareness, right? What they're really annoyed is about the fact that the British government is, is annoyed about is the existence, let's say, maybe they weren't originally, but they're annoyed now at the existence of Twitter when it's being used to these ends. Because the British government, uh, like other Western governments, are... Have become have become habituated to the idea of their message being the only really dominant message, um, and they liked that. It was very useful. They could get away with an awful lot of things. They could con the people into supporting wars and and, and, and overlooking or ignoring or not even knowing about the kind of massive levels of corruption that goes on in governments and stuff. Um, and people could get you know could be politicians and their and their and their business uh, business associates could could. Scratch each other's back, basically, and to, to the to the expense of the general public, let's say, and stealing from the public person, all that kind of stuff. That that happens as a result of their domination of the of the media, and they liked it that way. And war obviously makes them a massive amount of money, uh, and they need public support apparently for wars. So they use the media to get public support for wars and invasions and regime changes and whatever else you want to call it. And now, not just with Twitter. Twitter is a big problem for them, I suppose, but also obviously Russian media in English, RT and Sputnik, uh, are big issues for them as well because they're simply that they they are they are what they are serving the function of balancing out the previous complete dominance of the airwaves by Western governments and the control over and to that extent the control over what people in Western countries think and their minds and even people around the world, as you just said. Um, so they're very annoyed that there's any uh, pushback, let's say, from RT and from Sputnik and from people and for people like Ian on Twitter. That's what they're pissed off at, you know? But and they can't do anything about it, really. I mean, unless... Well, I suppose... They're, they're, just, they're just picking on Russia. Right. Really, when the enemy is all of us mm -hmm. in this information war. They pick Russia out because, well, it's big and, you know, a state can go against another state. But Russia is still just a drop in the ocean of the... Of the the pushback that the Western public is giving them. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, it's um, and they don't know what to do with it. Like I said, they don't they don't know how to respond to not having total information control. Let's say, or uh, a large you know let's say a large extent of of of, of or control of most of the information. Uh, the dominant narrative, let's say the broad scale, large narratives, they control them, they shape them, and they push them into people, and that's what people accept and believe. And they're they've been <laughs> they've been suffering uh, as a result of not having that over the past number of years. And it's you know it's just it's coincided with the emergence of Russia onto the kind of global stage in the way that it has done after Crimea and then into Syria. And um, the problem is that. The problem seems to be it's not just about another alternative view, let's say, not just, not just a, a different 
view of what's going on, like from RT or from Sputnik or from people on Twitter or the ideas that seem to float around in Ian's mind there, you know, about that there was no chemical attack in, 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 in Duma because there's no evidence for it. Uh, or the Skripals were not necessarily poisoned by any Russians because there's no evidence for it. Just because Bojo says it doesn't make it, Boris Johnson says it doesn't make it uh, the case. Um, so the problem is that it's not just another view and a balanced view, and they're happy to let it go. Let's oh well, the British government says this, the Russian government says that. Russian government is inherently evil for some reason, and for some reason, anybody who disagrees with the British government is inherently evil. Uh, and yet, if you look at what's actually being said by the British government and by people like Ian or disbelievers, you'll find that from a kind of empirical, rational, logical perspective. People like Ian and stuff on RT and Sputnik are far closer to the actual truth of these issues that are being discussed and that are pissing the British government off than anything the British government has said. So, but we're expected to deny the evidence of our own eyes and our own brain and the use of our own deny the use of our own logic and rationality and. Uh, in favour of simply believing that the government, or the British government, or the, or the American government says, has to be the truth. Like, basically, just remove my brain, I don't need it, or I only need a small part of it, the part which, you know, accepts information from the British government, and from their media, or from the US government. That's the only part of my brain I need. The other kind of critical thinking part, where I'd think for myself, I don't actually need that. By the US, by the British government's uh, uh, standards here. You should not be doing this, because if you are, Sky News and the BBC and The Guardian are going to attack you as a mind-controlled Russian bot. So it's either be a mind-controlled British government, kind of, or, or a, mind-controlled, a mind-controlled recipient of British government propaganda where you don't think for yourself, or if you don't do that, then you're a mind-controlled Russian bot. There's no room here in this narrative at all for anybody like Ian to just be, you know, basically be, to, to still be able to call a spade a spade, to, to, to identify something, to identify bullshit, let's say, and, mm. and call it out. That's not possible, apparently, according to these people on Sky News. It's like that idea did not figure in that interview uh, of, of Ian. The idea that he would simply be, well, yeah, why wouldn't one of them say, well, yeah, Ian, I can see, kind of see what you were saying because I don't even know why we're having this interview, really, because, I mean... Uh, you're obviously just some guy, now that we've seen you and stuff, you're obviously just some guy who thinks for himself. And yeah, there's a lot of questions around the Skripal thing. Nothing sure, you know, nobody's saying that even. That I mean, there is a lot of doubt around what happened with the Skripals. There's, there's obviously doubt about whether or not a chemical weapons attack happened. Uh, and certainly the, the US, UK and France uh, cruise missile attack was a bit opportunistic, bit, bit suspicious, yeah. So good on you, Ian. Good job. Well done. You know, Thinking for yourself. Good mm-hmm. man. Thanks very much. See you later. On to our next story. Why didn't that happen? That's mm-hmm. what should have happened, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's what is. Yeah. So what the hell were they doing? What was Sky News doing? Well, I think <laughs> if you look at the guy's response to, to Neil's tweet, you know, he's kind of uh, trying to backtrack and be like, oh, well, we were just kind of, you know, it was almost like a, we're on your side. Um, we were just getting him to respond to the U.S. government claims. Well, the the best proof against his point is just the segment itself, right. because if that was true, like you're saying, Joe, they would have had a conversation, 
And this is what the news is these days. And there have been several examples. Well, there are always a ton of examples, but um, the, like there have been a few recently that have kind of really made the, really driven the point home. And one, of course, was the Jordan Peterson interview on uh, Channel Four with Kathy Newman. Um, and but there are, there are several others where where what you have is not a conversation between two people who are trying to understand each other and have a conversation where one listens, incorporates what that person says, and then asks a question to kind of get deeper. Basically, to have a conversation requires, um, first of all, being willing to potentially change your mind. And that is listening to what the other person says, trying to understand their point of view, and then possibly revising what you think about it in return. And then you continue the conversation dynamically, one between the other. But you never see that on the news. In fact, well, I, I think that uh, Tucker Carlson does the best job of it, job at it, even if he has his point of views, because if you watch him interviewing people, he will say, okay, well, that's a good point, but that's not what I want to focus on. I want to move like in this direction. He will concede a point that the other person makes, even if they're crazy and it's a good point. And, but you never, you very rarely see that anywhere else. And so in this interview, they had a perfect, they had several perfect opportunities to just engage in a real kind of human conversation with this Ian guy, and they never took it. And one we didn't get to, it happens, I think, like right after we stopped the clip. But he was talking about, he like he just said to them that there are, that he doesn't think there are any credible news journalists at uh, Sky News. But then he says that there are only two journalists that he kind of respects and thinks are credible, one in the U.K. being Peter Hitchens, who writes for the Daily Mail, mm -hmm. and the other being Tucker Carlson in the States. And um, and then he said, oh, well, so well, he brings it down to the specific, like what's going on now? Why is he being t targeted at this moment for being a Russian bot? And he gives the example of the Duma chemical attack. And he brings up the point that anyone with any common sense does bring up has brought up repeatedly, but is never on the mainstream media. And that point is that, well, he, he just gave this point, um, that, okay, well, look at Duma. The Syrian army was um, on the verge of victory in East Ghouta. They'd cleared out all of these, um, like, terrorist-held areas. This was, like, the, the fourth and the final one, I think, out of all these, these separate pockets that they developed, and that they were on the verge of victory. All these people had been evacuated um, the, the previous regions had been liberated. They were on the verge of victory. And, and then what? We're supposed to believe that Assad does the one thing that is going to guarantee uh, a military response from the United States and their allies. He says that is completely unbelievable. We'd have to believe that Assad was the stupidest person alive. And it's evident, self-evident, and it's been proven time and again that he is not a stupid person. He's actually very intelligent. And <clears throat> if you were these Sky News um, you know, talking heads at, at that, like if you were, if you had any integrity, if you had any, um, well, just, just, um, if, if you were what you pretend to be as being a journalist and even just being a, you know, a human being talking to this, like, you know, 60 something year old British pensioner. I mean, even if you just had any common decency and politeness, you'd say, oh, well, you know, that's a very interesting point, Ian. It's like, I hadn't thought about that. In fact, we hadn't even reported any of that news about the actual context of what was going on in Ghouta. We didn't know that, mm -hmm. that Assad was on the verge of victory. You know, that they could, like, anyone with a, with an, with just a, a, a sufficiently working brain on the lowest level would be able to have a conversation and be like, oh, that's very interesting. I can see why, you know, 
where you're coming from mm -hmm. after you explained your point. But no, instead he says that, and then they just interrupt him and ask him a new question. It's like give the guy a break. You know, if you if you th if you pretend to be a journalist and actually be one and try to have a conversation with this guy so you can understand where he's coming from. It's just it was a uh, overall just completely shoddy work. And but but then again, shoddy is the standard for all this kind of news media it's just it's just bullcrap like 100% suggests that they are in fact bots yeah and that they cannot compute relate to con converse with anything that is not has not come through the bot system and they have as you described earlier joe just literally removed that this critical thinking faculty is is not there. Right, and they want you to do that as well. They yes, want everybody yes, else to do it. Everybody else must be the same. Yeah, there's something wrong with people who don't swallow the government propaganda like they do. I mean, they, these people are just authoritarian followers. They're just, I mean, there's, I, I, well, there's, there's probably a few flavors of them. Some of them have to be conscious about it. You know, I mean. And that might be in, in British intelligence and stuff who are creating their dynamic narratives because they realize they're in an information, information war with Russia. And yes, they're going to tell lies. They're going to massage the truth. They're going to say some things. I think as some, as some uh, U.S. politician said uh, about the Iraq war, actually, uh, something along the lines of now and again you're going to say – or some uh, U.S. general maybe said something about the Iraq war where now and again you're going to have to say some things that uh, you know, aren't exactly true because you know, that's what war is like, right? So there's people who are on that level where they're actually going to consciously lie, but they justify to themselves in, in, in terms of national interest or, you know, this is you know, patriotism, basically. This is for our country and we, we think we're, we're on the good side and therefore if we have to lie about certain things, we're going to lie uh, for the, in the interest of our, our people, our country. Uh, then there are other people in the media who uh, do it because not necessarily, I think a lot of them would be aware that it's bullshit, that it doesn't smell right. There's something very wrong with this situation. Uh, for example, the Skripal affair or the or the chemical chemical weapon attack uh, allegation in Duma. A lot of people, I think, in the media who would say, yeah, it's a bit dodgy. But the point is they're getting paid to exactly. say something. <clears throat> so when their paychecks depend on them getting uh, you know, understanding something in a particular way or, or looking at something in a particular way when their paychecks depend on that, then they're going to look at it in that particular way and they're just going to do their job. These are people with no scruples, no real morality, no sense of integrity, basically. They'll say anything because they're getting paid for it. You know, I mean, that might, might sound a bit harsh, but and I know jobs maybe aren't necessarily easy to come by these days and people, you know, they may actually have a bit of a, a few moral problems with it, but not enough to kiss, basically walk out of their job, their well-paying job as a, as a journalist or as a, a, a TV presenter. They're going to just repeat and repeat the, what, what they're told to repeat. Uh, and as that happens over many years, let's say, then you become, in, you become kind of used to it, let's say. You become habituated to, to doing that. And you kind of do, in a certain sense, kind of dispense with that critical thinking part of your brain because you realize that critical thinking part of your brain is actually a threat to your job. It's a threat to your paycheck. If you let it dominate or, 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 or give it too much free reign, it could actually lead you to the point where you'll go and resign on some moral moral grounds or something because I'm not going to repeat any more lies in this TV show. I'm not going to tell the British people any more nonsense. I'm not engaging in, the, <clears throat> in these kind of hit pieces. Uh, I, I, I love the truth more than my paycheck. Well, go ahead and try and find the... Uh, 
a few people, <laughs> even a few people uh, who would, uh, you know, match that match that, um, that description who love the truth more than their paycheck. So that's a big part of it right there. Um, and then, of course, there are other people who are just, who will believe everything the British government says, who absolutely are real diehard authoritarian followers. Uh, they're like fundy Christian types or fundy religious types, whatever. I mean, Jesus told me and therefore it's the truth, you know. Or I, I've felt Jesus in my heart, basically. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't, I don't care about uh, the fact that there's evidence that Jesus never existed. I felt them in my heart. <clears throat> I have a personal relationship with him, so I know he exists. Those are people like, the same people would say the thing, same things about, uh, similar things about the British government, you know. I have a personal relationship with uh, the British government or with Theresa May or with uh, British democracy or whatever. And I know it's the right thing. So sometimes it might not seem the right thing. Sometimes it might seem like it's lying. But if you just persist in your belief in the goodness of British democracy, all will be well. Yeah. And I'll be able to sleep well at night. So those kind of people, you know. So when you spread I'm, it across them, I don't know. That's I, a lot. I'm inclined to think when that segment ended, the female newscaster and Alistair Bunko turned to each other and said, oh, God, the disease <laughs> is spreading. Right. Yeah. One of them might still have had doubts, but one other would have voiced it and rapidly got it. Oh, yes, I know. It's terrible. Oh, God, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yes, it is hard. Are they both diehard believers? I don't know. They'd have to take it on a case-by-case basis, but people are very fickle, and they don't really care, ultimately. We have to remember that a lot of people don't actually care as much as we seem to care about this stuff, you know? A lot of people don't care. They don't get worked up about it. People don't have fish like that they want to slap people with, you know? They're just like, eh, whatever, politicians lie, whatever. Meh, that's it, you know? So that's a bit disheartening as well. Ilan gave some background about the Atlantic Council. Um, mm. You remember Prop or Not? Yes. That was what the Washington Post, late 2016, published a blacklist of mm-hmm. 200 websites, us included. Um, that were Russian bots. Yes, basically, Russian connected 200 sites, alternative, just some blogs in some case. Yeah. Really small. I mean, um, prop or not, it, earlier this year, a guy called George Eliasson, I think he's an investigative reporter, did some digging and found that prop or not's website has the same administrator as interpretermag.com. Interpretermag.com is the publication of the Atlantic, the Atlantic Council. Council. Yeah. On the board of the Atlantic Council, we have, among others, Anne Applebaum, violent Russophobe, anti-Trump nutcase in New York, um, Bellingcat people, right. including Higgins. Not jobs, MI5, Whitehall. Uh, Stop Fake, the Ukrainian anti-Russian site. Right. And Neo-Nazis. <clears throat> the CEO of CrowdStrike, which is involved in the DNC email hack slash leak. Oh, okay. They so, were supposed to provide security for the... DNC servers. So that's basically pedophiles, neo-Nazis, uh, uh, MI5, backroom boys, pedophiles again, and uh, the Atlantic Council, uh, just anti-Russian nutjobs, yeah. Okay. Those are the people who are telling us that we're crazy. Bye. And they all write for, among others, Radio Free, Free Europe, which is, which is the US's yes. explicit right. propaganda arm. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know what to do about it, but uh, other than just keep laughing at it, you know, because that's, <laughs> uh, I mean, these people are digging their own grave, you know, that's the thing. These people, 
in, in the Western press and the British government who really think that they can – they have lost touch with reality. They have bro- broken, let's say, uh, that's the term, I think, broken. They had a break with reality, basically, uh, as far as when Russia uh, came on the scene and started to challenge their their positions and their and their narratives, basically, and they just can't handle it. They're, they're unable to handle it. And right now, they are doubling down on their propaganda and blaming everything on Russia. And ultimately, as we've just been mentioning in terms of the, the evidence for the British government or the US government case about Duma or the Skripals or many other things going back to the Iraq war uh, versus what alternative media or people like uh, Ian that was in that interview we had earlier, uh, their perspective on it. It's clear that the people who are the reality-based community, the people who are actually uh, being logical and rational about it are is not the US and the British government. They're the ones who are delusional by any standards. Forget about bias or anything like that, just based on the, the evidence. They're making accusations for things for which they cannot and will not provide any evidence, or rather will not because they cannot provide any evidence. So that by definition, someone who just screams something or makes makes hysterical accusations against someone and then when anybody else comes along and asks for evidence or tries to investigate and find the evidence on which that allegation is made and they find there is none, the person making the allegation is is, is is the... the dodgy one. They're the, they're the suspect one. They're the ones that are not very much in touch with reality. But these people, unfortunately, are fighting against reality. The reality that says that they're full of shit, they fight against it, and they continue to fight against it. So it's not really, they're not really fighting against like Russian bots or alternative media or the Kremlin or anything. What they're actually fighting against is reality. If you look at it, yeah. and that's a really bad and their thing own to do. That's about it, right? And that's a bad wager to make that you can win against reality. Yeah. Um, is there even anything like a Russian troll factory? I know they pulled up the Internet Research no. Agency in Saint Petersburg, but that was such slim pickings because it was basically a private firm, right. Trying to get yeah, clicks just making money, yeah, to make money. That yeah. was a business guy. Yeah. But they keep running with that idea, Internet Research Agency, Internet Research. But I mean, here's the thing: it's just they say something, and then where does it come from? Then this whole scheme, the concept itself. I think they know whereof they speak. Of course well, they of do. Of course they do. They have armies of freaking right. sock puppets. British intelligence. And they publicly are... announced such ten right. years ago. Right. I have a report here from the Guardian, March 2011. U.S. spy operation that manipulates social media. The U.S. military is developing false online personalities, known to users of social media as sock puppets, using software that will let it secretly manipulate social media sites by using fake online personas to influence Internet conversations and spread pro-American propaganda. And The Guardian could write and report it as such because the U.S. government put out a public tender inviting companies to come and help us do this. And they got a response from a, a Californian company called Intrepid, okay. which was awarded the contract by CENTCOM. Now, there was a caveat in the report. In that specific um, tender, it, was, it, would, it would only be used for foreign, influencing foreign foreigners. Yeah, they, right. what they would never, of course, do it in the U.S., but that's a crock of... Uh, interestingly, actually, in we're talking we were talking on the show about um, about the kind of hit pieces that they came out with, particularly the Guardian and the BBC uh, on their websites created penned some 
some hacks, some BBC and Guardian hacks, paying some trashy hit pieces about, you know, the BBC one uh, was actually entitled Online Activists Pushing Conspiracy Theories. And of course, um, they weren't just talking about conspiracy theories here, they were talking about uh, Russian bots because they make that very explicit. I mean, (laughs) conspiracy theories, nothing wrong with conspiracy theories at this point, right? I mean, what's wrong with conspiracy theories? Jesus Christ. As if the government never conspired to do anything and not tell people about it. It just sickens me that they keep on talking about conspiracy theories as though it's like crazy conspiracy theories. You know, you have to be nuts to believe any of them. It's like, what are you talking about? It's um, So basically, in the, in, the, in the BBC article, they said, um, in this article, it says, the crazy, not the crazy conspiracy theory, theorists. It says, it, the title is, and it's trending, BBC trending. Somehow they made it trend as well. Syria war, the online activists pushing conspiracy theories. And then in the article, they talk about immediately, their main point basically is that the Syrian government and its key ally, Russia, say that the Duma incident was staged. And then they say that um, social media activists have seized on this theory that is being floated by the Russian government. Um and then they waffle on about uh, the fact that then they just basically, they don't say any of these people are necessarily bots, but they say that you know, for example, for example, Vanessa Bealey has appeared on uh, media outlets, including uh, Russian uh, or RT, um, and then Sarah, Sarah Abdullah we mentioned earlier on tweets she tweets con- constantly pro Russia and pro Assad messages with a dollop of retweeting, <clears throat> mostly aimed at attacking Barack, Barack Obama. Anyway. Um, so it's the, the article is while well, it's titled conspiracy theories, online activists spreading conspiracy theories. Um, it's basically about people on the internet who get quite a lot of attention, mainly on Twitter, who say the same stuff as Russia does. That's what the article is about, and it's saying therefore they cannot be uh, valid in any way. But the interesting thing, the thing, the thing that I wanted to mention about it is that at the end of this BBC article, they have a section or a, a section of it uh, with a subheading, Drowned Out. And what they say is, am I in the right place here? Maybe not. Maybe I am. Hang on. Um, yes. They say that although the activist follower accounts continue to grow, there is one indication that their influence online might be on the decline compared with last year. In the hours after the alleged attack in Duma, Syria, quote-unquote, was a top-trending term on Twitter. But the messages by the pro-Assad activists were drowned out by reports from a range of news outlets. The hashtag, hashtag, the hashtag Syria hoax was used around 17,000 times in a week compared to more than 280,000 times in April 2017 and most likely failed to make Twitter's list of top trends. So there's a very interesting piece of information that the BBC just dropped there. Whether it's true or not, I suppose it's true. It's true based on we can assume that it's true if we assume that Twitter is 
effectively banning or corralling or ghost banning uh, accounts that on Twitter that do not that tweet stuff that does not jive with the British government and the US government's version of events, particularly in terms of uh, foreign policy and geopolitics. Because if this is true, then hashtag Syria hoax over the over the the week of the Duma attack just a week or, or ten days ago was used only seventy thousand times in one week. And last year, in April two thousand and seventeen, when there was another chemical weapons attack in the same month of last year, uh, alleged chemical weapons attack of the same month of last year, uh, the same hashtag Syria hoax um, was used 280,000 times. So that's a more than tenfold decrease this time in in hashtags or references to the Duma attack. This this chemical this year's chemical weapon alleged chemical weapons attack in Syria being a hoax. Now, by our estimation, it should have been ten times as much because uh, just looking at the way uh, the amount of information out there and the context in which, in which this attack actually happened, uh, i.e. it was followed immediately by the Tomahawk cruise missile attack, it garnered that garnered far more attention in general for this Duma, alleged Duma chemical weapons attack uh, because it gave rise to an actual in, in the in the few days uh, afterwards, give rise give rise to and with a big emotional build up of Trump's nice new shining missiles missiles coming to get Russia. Blah. Certainly, it was far bigger in the in cyberspace in terms of the emotional content of it and, and the amount of public attention it would have got than last year, last April 2017's uh, chemical weapons alleged chemical weapons attack. Yet the BBC says BBC says that based on their government statistics, whatever or whoever they got it from Twitter. There were ten times as much, ten times less people this year talking about uh, the possibility of this this being another fake chemical weapons attack. Now that sounds like bullshit. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it sounds like Twitter has finally succumbed, folded to the deep state, <laughs> uh, along with Facebook probably and Google, YouTube. Because if you remember a couple of months ago when those three, the executives of them, those three uh, corporations were pulled up in front of Congress and they were all talking about, you know, how could you let Russia hack our election? And people on the Facebook executive was forced to explain how uh, 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 an image of Jesus and, and Satan uh, fighting over, you know, a Trump win in the election could have possibly swayed it. And uh, so that was the public aspect of it, but undoubtedly those people, those executives were taken into private or closed-door sessions and uh, they folded in the sense of this is a national security issue and it wasn't just about Russia influencing our election, but it was rather about Russian propaganda in general and any, you know, probably setting it up in such a way that the US and the British government or their intelligence agencies could would have contact within Twitter, Facebook, Google, if they didn't have already, but certainly one that was dedicated to calling them or communicating them with them when necessary uh, in the event of, for example, something that the, the, the British government or the US government needs suppressed on Twitter, needs suppressed on Facebook, needs suppressed on, on YouTube, then from now, now, from now on, uh, they have a means to do that directly or simply... Twitter and Facebook and Google are doing it actively on an ongoing basis because 
Yeah, I don't know if anybody anybody agrees with this or has seen a similar thing, but on Facebook, certainly on Facebook and uh, on Twitter, you tend to just be, you get a feeling that you're in a little closed-in group, even though you're not, you know? Yeah. You can have a thousand, quote-unquote, friends. Yeah. But apparently none of them, yeah, none of them, very few, like only a handful of those friends actually get to see, I mean, even allowing for people's apathy and stuff like that, you really get the impression that a lot of them aren't actually seeing your content because of the type of content that you're posting. The same applies to Twitter. If you've got some key terms in there, then it'll be ghost, ghost banned effectively. Um, And that's what's going on and... uh, you know, it's a futile attempt to try and control control reality, basically. It's not yeah. going to work, but certainly it's annoying. Yeah, yeah. The figures you gave were, they said there's roughly 2,000 um, tweets about this year's chemical attack, alleged one, versus 200,000 last year. No, 17,000 versus 280,000. 17,000. So what's that? A 2,000% decrease? A tenfold decrease. Tenfold decrease. What does that work in percentage? Anyway, a major drop off. A one thousand percent decrease. A one th- so okay. A one thousand percent decrease in people talking about Duma versus Kane Shakun last year. Right. Okay. At the same time as they're reporting a two thousand fold increase in Russian troll activity. Four thousand increase. Four thousand. Right. Uh, yeah, no, they, they're both. They're, they're getting see, tripped up. But you see their, their narrative. Well, you see their narrative is that all those four, those four thousand, that four thousand percent increase in Russian troll, i.e., your, man, your guy Ian and people like us, we are all Russian trolls. We are in that four thousand uh, percent increase. Anything we post on Facebook or Twitter, and therefore that justifies it being suppressed. Okay. So they, the point is, they see the four thousand percent increase, but that doesn't mean it actually got out. That means that they took action to to, to, contain, to, to, to contain that right. that avalanche, that tsunami of mm-hmm. of Russian propaganda, supposedly. You know, um, we have Stephen on the line here. I'm going to go and see what's up with Stephen. Yes. What's it? What's going How are on? How you doing today? Not too bad. I'm doing excellent. I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Good to hear. And um, it's uh, it's very heartening for me to to watch. Um, this guy, Glenn Greenwald, be exposed as the fake-ass phony that he really is down deep. Well, did, um, you, not see, did you not see how he, how he backtracked on it a bit? Um, Just tell people I what you're talking seen, about. Well, I, was, I, I, was, I listened to a segment of Democracy Now! where Greenwald was featured, and he, he basically made a statement that it was – that it was most highly likely that it was the Syrian government that had done a chemical weapons attack and that they had done engaged in previous chemical weapons attacks that I got from that that was that was the outrageous statement that was um that he conveyed on democracy now mm-hmm. And, right. and this guy here is just a slime ball. Money um, from Omidyar, Pierre Omidyar, the, pay, the PayPal billionaire who's deeply connected with USAID 
and and a person who um, supported prepared the groundwork by giving money to NGOs that helped helped foment the coup in Ukraine. And um, and also it's come to light that the 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 documents that they got from Snowden um, contained information from years before that it was basically well-known knowledge that Saudi Arabia and others were helping funnel money and mercenary fighters into Syria. So they evidently Greenwald didn't see fit to bring that, that information from the documents that he got to light. And, um, right. And it's really, it's caving in on him now. See, I'm, I called out Glenn Greenwald at that, at that pivotal moment in, in our world history when Putin announced in front of the UN and he made a big demonstration. This was a huge announcement by Putin that he was intervening to help the Syrian government protect itself, which was, which is totally legal under international law. And it's ethically and morally correct in my estimation that Russia do so. It's a, it was a long-term ally. And even if it wasn't a long-term ally, every country, every sovereign country has a right to defend themselves against foreign invasion. Right. It's the fabric um, of, of, of the NATO, NATO agreement, right? Who used to, Yes. Well, yeah. Jeremy Scahill is one of his big partners. Um, and he's, he's also a propaganda whore. He's, he's appeared on, um, Bill Maher's, um, you know, program. I forgot what the name of it, but, um, you know, he's a celebrity and he's also appeared in some mainstream media segments and he, he poses as being anti-war, as being on the side of wanting truth just as Glenn Greenwald does. But when the reality of it is, when it comes to Syria, they have, and when it comes to Ukraine, they are willing to suppress and distort information in, in order to get become millionaires. And I, I know that's a very strong statement, but yes, Scahill, Greenwald, um, Amy Goodman, they're they're not just millionaires. They're worth more than one million dollars. They're mul- Amy Goodman's case. She's a multi-millionaire, and I think it's always when you when anybody who presents themselves as a public intellectual, um, you know, when they're a millionaire, watch what they say. What are they scared? Are they afraid to um, any public intellectual that has not as of yet weighed in on Syria as a major subject and done so in a way that's honest, that has evidence behind it. Instead of just repeating the mainstream propaganda lies, though that I don't trust that. It's not hard to research what's been happening in Syria. But right now I'm seeing the total implosion of the uh, what they call the so-called progressive left from mother jones to the progressive magazine you look at all of these people that are supposed to be on the left and have look at their record of what they've had to say as far as syria goes um you really find out how deep the rot is in u.s culture and 
And the reason I put so much, I have so much ire against Greenwald and Amy Goodman and Jamie, Jeremy Scahill is because they, they present themselves as progressive left and being anti-war. But the reality is by their disinf, by their twisting information, they actually soften up the people who would be opposed to imperialist wars and they confuse people to where, where people cannot, we cannot develop a coherent anti-war movement. And that's why they're getting paid big money precisely for that. Now you would expect somebody who's a right wing war hawk to always promote, you know, lies and propaganda for the empire. You know, you know, somebody, the typical, somebody on right wing talk radio, one of these blowhards or Rush Limbaugh or and so forth. But uh, I'll have to say this. I have a lot of respect for uh, Tucker Carlson. Um, he, uh, he far anybody on the progressive left. That's an, a notable celebrity as far as forcefully and cogently calling out this uh, recent attack against Syria. So I have to give him credit for that. And um, the other thing I would, I would like to say that I think it's very important to watch is, Watch how people people present what's been happening in Syria. For anybody, if they're going to be um, talk about Syria without doing even minimal investigation to, and pointing out to their public that the United States has been involved in Syria for years supporting violence. So calling Assad a war criminal, a bad guy. Well, if your country for seven years has been under attack through Turkey, through France, through Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and through going through training camps for, for terrorists, jihadists in Jordan for years, Israel for years, and for you to make a big show that Assad is some kind of a war criminal and a bad guy without mentioning the context of that this has been happening and supported by the U.S. as a as a primary force for years, you're dishonest. Right. You're not being honest with people and in informing them about what's happening there. Absolutely, well said. And I see it happen all again and again by these so-called progressives. Um, Benjamin Dixon, he's an African American uh, radio host. He does a podcast. He's aligned with the Intercept, and they just have these people come on there. And they're, they're, they have these assumptions that Assad is a war criminal, that Assad, they've used chemical weapons, and they just keep, and you guys were talking earlier about, do these people really believe it? Or what? I think it's a mixture. Mm -hmm. When you're, um, a lot of these guys that are journalists, they might be good looking, they, they can, they're articulate, they can speak well, they can speak rapidly, they know how to follow, you know, keep on script. But when they hear something time and times, nobody ever challenges it because they're generally uh, the more money you make. And this is a generalization. I think it applies to every society. The better off you are and, and more comfortable you are in any society, the less that you're going to question the official narratives that come from the powerful interests and institutions within that society. That's a generalization. I think that adheres to everywhere in the world. Right. And um, but especially in Britain 
in the United States that because they're so used to having this unchallenged power for so long, they become sloppy. And the Skripal case is a perfect example. The, the chemical weapons thing and the attack uh, in Syria, you know, uh, for them to attack and not even wait for the evidence, you know, they attacked the day before, you know, this OPCE mm-hmm. or whatever, this organization was supposed to investigate alleged use of chemical along with this and not call them out and be and be outraged that they didn't wait for evidence after especially after Iraq you know this really demonstrates like the the a new low in the in the in a, a new low in their ethics and a high a new high in the amount of um just that's unfolding in in uh, US and UK society and I'm, and unfortunately it looks like the French are no better off with this guy Macron. He's a really yeah. a, he's really a sellout too. So no doubt, the worst things hey. can be said about Macron. Anyway, Stephen, thanks for yeah, calling. Yeah, well, this guy's yeah yeah thank you, but this Macron guy, man, you know after the after the French opposed the Iraq War too yeah. under Bush and they were they were castigated and so forth. They made the right decision in that case. And for that to see France, you know, go under one of these quizlings like Macron, yeah. it's really kind of it's really kind of uh, disappointing. But the good news is, is all of this is blowing up in their faces, mm-hmm. and um, it's really they're scrambling all over themselves. They're running like roaches from the light, and they're being very clumsy because they're just and they so they're just being caught in one lie after another, and. Um, Anyway, that's all I had to say, and I enjoy y'all's show. Take all care. Right. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. See ya. Take care. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say. Well, no, I don't want to say it, actually, do I? Well, I do, maybe. Uh, Turkey saying, uh, Turkey's still on board, basically. it's There's been been back and forth with Turkey about what the, what the Turks are really, where their allegiances lie and stuff, but it really doesn't seem to be going in the, in the direction that the, that the West and NATO would actually like. Uh, Turkey under Erdogan at least are still um, still able to see that uh, the future or they, they assess it seems that the future still lies in a kind of uh, a Eurasian uh, template let's say or Eurasian configuration uh, in a multipolar world because um, Erdogan just recently obviously the Kurdish thing is a sticking point for, for, for the Turks uh, the idea that the US would be establishing a, a Kurdistan in northeastern Syria Turks, that's just a that's their red line basically, and the, the Americans aren't aren't budging on it. They're sticking, they're, they're bringing in more troops, or sending in bunches of weapons. That Erdogan just uh, recently criticised the US and other NATO allies. Um, he said uh, he said we cannot buy weapons from the US with our money, but unfortunately, the US and coalition forces give these weapons, this ammunition, to terrorist organisations for free. So he says, where does the threat come from? It comes primarily from our strategic partners. (laughs) Emphasizing that Washington continues to funnel truck and plane loads of weapons into northern Syria. The U.S. sent 5,000 trucks loaded with weapons to northern Syria, he said. Uh, Yeah. So that's something that, uh, that's good news in that sense that um, that, uh, Turkey is still 
still kind of seeing able still seeing the light let's say continues to see the light of the situation and isn't uh, isn't for backing down in the face of at least in face in the face of the US's plans for north northeastern uh, Syria um, and that you know that favors really Russia not that all these people are necessarily working hand in hand kind of thing together uh, in the Middle East but certainly uh, they form a kind of a a block uh, against U.S., British, French machinations in, in the Middle East, Saudi, Israeli machinations in the Middle East. You know, you've got that uh, that alternative coalition of Russia, Iran, Turkey, and Iraq and Syria uh, seems to be holding together and slowly, slowly um, coming together. But we'll see what uh, we'll see where it goes. Was there anything else we want to mention, guys, or do we want to call it a day? Well, just a quick thing to get off my chest here. Um, it's been really annoying, incredibly annoying, to hear statements from UK government uh, saying uh, to Russia, effectively, you guys must admit first on, uh, on being culpable for the scripple poisoning before we can talk about anything else. And recently, John Bolton, the uh, neocon crazy, um, who just became the White House National Security Advisor, was going to meet with uh, Russian Ambassador Anatoly Antonov uh, to talk about U.S.-Russian relations. And again, you have statements coming out of the White House, um, which which say, you know, well, first you have to first you have to admit to to being you know, uh, Assad in Syria. And, and allowing for the uh, Duma chemical attack, and then we'll talk to you. This is so obnoxious. It's so arrogant. Uh, just something I've noticed, both sides of the pond, both of these governments uh, putting Russia on the defensive. And, of course, for the, for the percentage of, of people who don't really know what's going on, uh, you know, they, and, and have no... Um, experience with or understanding of the big lie and how it works, uh, you know, and, and perhaps a, a modicum of trust in these two governments, you know, the, the idea is that, that, that uh, they'd be thinking, uh, well, why, why would these governments, you know, make such big lies? It, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what they do. That's their relentless pathological uh, information tool that we're seeing right now. And um, and like you guys were saying a little earlier, they would have everyone think this way. Uh, so just something I've noticed, and uh, that's that's utterly obnoxious. Yeah. That I wanted to mention. Absolutely, obnoxiousness abounds these days in Western politics, in particular. All right, uh, I think we'll leave it there, there for this week, folks. Thanks for, for listening. Thanks for, we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for uh, chatting away in the chat room. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, have a good one. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Take care.